one in A Dance with Dragons and Theon Outro. I am Chloe, one of your hosts. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and at liesandarborgold.com. And I am Eliana, another one of your hosts, and you might know me as Gloss Table Girl from the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit from the Maester Monthly Podcast. Maybe you know me as Arithmetric over on Twitter. Welcome. Guys, we have a new POV this week. It is uh, Theon Greyjoy moving off from Reek. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of He's him. He's kind of a big deal. Yeah, kind of a big deal in Pike, you know? The Iron Eyes. <laughs> yeah, I, he, he totally said that to someone. There's no way he didn't say oh that Oh my god, to he definitely Ron Burgundied it in those first couple chapters when he got back, right? Oh, like, <sighs> totally. His apartment smells of rich driftwood. Um... <laughs> We are getting very close to hitting our stretch goal on Patreon. We want to hit $1,000 a month and then treat you guys to a live stream. Uh, we're looking at the end of April for that live stream, so stay tuned for some more details as we get closer. If you want to check out our Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. We will always have free episodes up every Friday, but we do have a lot of bonus content that will go straight on Patreon. So we really thank you for pledging to us, or we welcome you to listen to the episodes every Friday. Yes, we are obviously going to continue Theon's storyline uh, with that wins chapter this week before the end of March. But, you know, speaking of things happening at the end of April, there's also something really big coming in mid-April for our fandom. Yes, I've heard about it. It's that show that the books we're reading are based off of, uh, Game of Thrones, if you've heard of it. It is. It is. I'm really excited, you know. Yeah, it's going to be over finally. <laughs> we can all just <laughs> we can all just go die. We can all be like, the, like oh, I'm ready to die now. I'm so ready for Bran Stark to ruin everything as the Night King. You know, I'm just... Oh my god. <laughs> well, okay, no, obviously we are being a little bit facetious, but we are excited especially about this new last season of Game of Thrones because we are going to be doing some Game of Thrones content for you guys. Tuesdays uh, after the episode, we'll be putting out episodes in the evening detailing the last episode, just chatting about what we watched, talking about uh, what it means for the community, what it means in general for the show and the plot, and even what it could mean for the remaining books. And of course, most importantly, what it means for me and Chloe. Yeah, like when Sandor <laughs> dies, yeah. you know I'm gonna be a fucking mess. <sighs> That's gonna be the episode. It's gonna be you sobbing for yes. an hour. <laughs> that's what we're gonna put out there and that is what you can get if you pay five dollars to our patreon monthly <laughs> oh my god now, this one will, will come out of course yeah. as being no, yes. part of our game of thrones content yeah every tuesday streaming chloe breaking down now <laughs> we have another announcement you know after we finish up this very new pov of theon we are moving into Another POV, of course. Yes, our new POV, our next POV, and I hope you guys like it because we are going to be doing it for a little bit of time, probably uh, almost to the end of the year. We're going to hit another point of view probably. on the end of the year finally, but this is going to take up some time. Yeah, so buckle in because we're doing one of the longest POV arcs. And we are going into the other outsider in Winterfell, Jon Snow. Snow, Ned! Snow. Under the snow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our next POV is Jon Snow, uh, the man himself, the uh, Song of Ice and Fire himself. I'm very excited about that. Um, as much as I tend to joke and jibe, oh, this is going to be awful, it's John. There will be some episodes that I may not be as excited about. However, there will be some episodes that I'm very excited about. He has some of the best supporting cast. Uh, the North is always interesting. And spoiler alert, he dies at the end. So He does. And I think it's going to be really interesting to look at John's beginnings again as we come to this end, right, of, of Game of Thrones, a show. And as you all know, Jon's character has more of a storyline at the end, right? Because it's... About him. The books are based, yeah, the books are based on the show, so... Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you have to look at how the show is completely canon when it comes to, like, Jon chose the right woman in the end. You know, Kit Harington married 
Rose Leslie Egret. So, anyways, <laughs> that is the episode where I will probably sob for an hour. I'll be like, oh, no. I'll be sobbing. That was my first like. Man, when I started reading these books, I loved Egret. Egret was my character. Yeah. I mean, you can see that, I guess. Uh, Egret was my character. She's very spicy and just she's very Egret. She's the best. I love her. She's a very colorful bird, as we talked last episode. She is. Anyway, we're not there yet. Next no. week, everyone. Yes, I'm really excited. That's We get to go back to Winterfell, get to see Dad one last time or two. So, we do have a lightning round to get through, so we'll move on through that. Our lightning round will consist of all the chapters between Theon 1 and between A Ghost in Winterfell. Yes, starting off with Tyrion 10. Tyrion and Penny are sold into Yezin's household. Jorah joins them. Tyrion plays Brown and Plum after a successful joust. Jamie 1. After lifting the siege at Raven Tree Hall, Jamie encounters Brienne of Tarth who claims to have found a maid of three and ten. Whoa. John 10. Alice Karstark is married to Sigurd by Melisandre under the Lord of Light. John imprisons Cregan Karstark before hearing news of Hardhome and the horn of a returning party. Daenerys 8. While the powerful Miranese celebrate peace inside the gates, Marine still suffers a siege. After holding court and contemplating Tatters' company, she returns to unhappily bed her new husband. So that brings us to Theon 1. Mission impossible. Theon Greyjoy has Abel's word that he will not fall back into the clutches of Ramsay Bolton, and they enact the plan. Break Lady Arya. Lady Arya. Free of her tower. Jump and remember your name. Day stole upon them just as Stannis had, unseen. Winterfell had been awake for hours, its battlements and towers crammed with men in wool and mail and leather awaiting an attack that never came. By the time the sky began to lighten, the sounds of drums had faded away, though war horns were heard thrice more, each time a little closer. And still the snow fell. Theon remembers then some of the tales that Old Nan told them of winter, after hearing a stable boy joke that it's like hardly even winter. The storms rage for forty days and forty nights, for a year, for ten years. Storms that buried castles and cities and whole kingdoms under a hundred feet of snow. In A Dance with Dragons, George really is hammering home that the weather, the snow, is not a joke. Winter's truly here. We see it from quotes from other characters in the North as well, not just in Theon's chapters like Tormund when he talks about his son. When the snows came, though, snow and sleet and freezing rain, it's bloody hard to find dry wood or get your kindling lit, and the cold. Some nights, our fires just seem to shrivel up and die. Nights like that, you always find some dead come the morning. And, of course, we get it in Bran's chapters as well, with the cave in the north. The snows had buried most of them again, but they were still there, hidden, frozen, waiting. It really builds up this whole sense of foreboding and heightens the stakes, something that can be really hard in, you know, this act of a fantasy novel where he's at in the story. It's really easy for the story to fall flat, which in A Dance with Dragons, we kind of see that in some parts. It's really pleasing with the pacing of the books, especially considering the five-year gap affecting his writing, whether intentionally or unintentionally, which I think at this point we kind of know it's intentional. You really get the world of white, of purity, and then Theon's chapters come, and with all this murder in the north, you get these slashes of red tainting them. Mm-hmm. Even in Ash's chapters with Stannis, we get that great glimpse of the other side of the fence. No burnings today and none tomorrow, but if the snows continue, how long before the king's resolve begins to weaken? Yes. Also, the more you read this, I just kept thinking again, because you said it at the beginning. Snow, Ned, snow! <laughs> Absolutely. Underneath the snow is Azora High. <laughs> I also love the way that George, again, kind of subtly hints with that religious language again, and how this is still framed through all that, because Old Nan's saying that it snowed for 40 days and 40 nights is reminiscent of many other moments that are 40 days or 40 nights or, you know, 40 years if you really fuck up in the Bible. Like, during the Great Flood and Noah's Ark, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and that cleansed the world of sin and to start anew. And it's very much like what you were saying about, like, all of this purity 
as opposed to like the red slashing the white, there's the other way that winter can arguably be that act of cleansing, uh, sort of purge, which is, I think, a really dark way to view it. But it is kind of that, like, we're going to lose a lot of really good people during the winter, but it also sets a stage for a lot of those bad people, like the evils to be rooted out before we get to spring, which is, of course, a time of rebirth and starting anew. And winter is also very much a test for all of these kinds of people. Like Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to fast and go be tested by the devil. And George points towards this a lot, I think, in in Aaron's encounter with Euron in The Forsaken. Because like as we've discussed, like Aaron's story has a lot of parallels with Theon. Winter's going to be that test of faith. Faith being a big running theme throughout this chapter for like everyone. Yeah. Theon breaks his fast in the back of the hall, chewing yeast from a dark ale as he watches Abel's faction. He thinks Abel's plan may not be so mad. As Roos and Walda enter the hall, other lords are eating Horsbane Umber, Aenys Frey, Roger Riswell, Wyman Manderley, Lord Locke. Ramsay appears and he is in a foul mood. Theon prays that he will not take it out on him. Theon tells Abel that all right, this plan that we have, it's not going to work. Abel just, like, plays his lute and reassures him that, like, <laughs> Stannis is our salvation. Think that, Theon thought. Believe that. Tell yourself it's true. He warns him that Ramsay will hunt his people, which, um, yeah, probably. Abel promises Theon, though, that he's going to keep Theon safe. No matter what, my prince. Ramsay, though, argues with Roose at the days. It's very dramatic. Like... Keep that shit behind doors. When Ramsay walks in, he goes straight to Roos and he's all like, burr, 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 and arguing. And I hate you, dad. <laughs> How dare you fuck this bitch? Uh, all the northern men are feigning obliviousness and like eating their food and chitter chattering. But Walda's like face is bright red and Theon can't make out what they're saying from that far in the back. And I do love we did have poor Quentin on last week and we had a really great time with him discussing Theon. He has a post on Tumblr. It's a response about what Roos and Ramsay were arguing about and he basically explains in this post why the death by Ramsay is dramatically satisfying for Roos because no one else scares Roos and no one else could take Roos on except, you know, maybe Stannis as his true nemesis. But between, you know, the inheritance issue and Walda being pregnant with Roos's child, Ramsay torturing and murdering people who don't call him Ramsay Bolton, all the signs really do point to Daddy Roos going night-night here. Yeah, there's nothing quite like saying I hate your new marriage and my new stepmom quite like killing your dad. Yeah, exactly. It's a big fuck you, you know? Yeah. It's George turning these things up to 11. <laughs> Theon, though, wonders what's going to happen when I, Theon Greyjoy, die. Am I going to go to the drowned halls? Like, no one who's going to bring my fucking body there? Is my ghost going to just wander Winterfell? No pain Theon had ever known came close to the agony Skinner could evoke with a little flensing blade. Ugh. Abel would learn that lesson soon enough. And for what? Jane. Her name is Jane, and her eyes are the wrong color. A mummer playing a part. Lord Bolton knows, and Ramsay, but the rest are blind, even this bloody bard with his sly smiles. The jape is on you, Abel, you and your murdering whores. You'll die for the wrong girl. <sighs> Damn. Chills. There's a lot in there. We had come close, actually, uh, and by we, sorry, I'm not in this story. <laughs> Theon had come close admitting the truth of Jane and Arya the night before, but he just, like, couldn't do it. The singer seemed intent on making off with the daughter of Eddard Stark. Which, way on the nose, or on the rose, I should say, right? Because Bail the Bard, Abel the Bard, Bail the Bard, get it? Yeah, I mean, like, this is actually where they got the idea to name the music software Ableton. Oh I made God. that up. That's not true. <laughs> don't don't oh take God. anything I say is true. <sighs> Don't take her seriously, ever. Uh, the doors in the Great Hall open up, and it's Hostine Frey, and shit just hits the fan. He's got a body in his arm, and he's covered in snow. There's been another murder, and it's Little Walder, the big one, Merritt's son. The body in Sir Hostine's arms sparkled in the torchlight, armored in pink frost. The cold outside had frozen his blood. Ugh. Oh. He dies where Bran fell, by the way, out at First Keep, which is broken, like Bran now. Oh. It Reminds me a lot of that same thing with Sansa, too, leaving the castle, how Eddard left the castle in King's Landing. Mm, yeah, I think all of this is a really good catch. I would have never thought, like, oh yeah, that's where Bran fell. 
Yeah, they said it was the broken tower, and I'm like, oh shit, that's it's Bran. Yeah, I'd have just been like, whatever. It's what that else? boy. It's that boy, <laughs> that, what up? That other boy. Roos, though, wants to know where the body was found. Chloe can tell you. Yeah, okay. I'll tell you, Roos. Solemn, yet loud, he's speaking, and Big Walder tells him that, yeah, like you said, he's found under the first keep, and his gloves, they are caked with little Walder's blood. <laughs> I told him not to go out alone, but he said he had to find a man who owed him silver. This actually kind of reminds me a little of Pate's chapter. The oh, yeah. You know? Uh, I don't think there's a faceless man there right now, but anyway. Similar vibes, same energy. Ramsey demands an answer of who the man was, but Big Walder can't provide an answer. He's just like, I guess it was a White Harbor man, uh, because... You know, they're the ones who taught him how to play dice. This is really cool because it's totally just pointing to Wyman's going to be that double cross we didn't get in the show. You know, he already is. And okay, tinfoil theory. You're not the only one who gets to make them. What if Wyman wrote the letter? The red letter. I think it'd be interesting, but I'm also just like, why, man? Yeah, but then I, like, I want to know the like, I've been in discussions about the pink letter, even though I'm like, who gives a shit? But I want to hear your idea of why the best pink letter theories, which I think like in the end, it's probably not really that fancy. It was probably Mance that wrote it or something. Who knows? It's probably yeah. fucking Ramsey. Who wrote yeah, it. it's probably Ramsey. Fancy. I mean, that is the least fancy. And also, especially as we get through this chapter, I, I kind of feel on this like 18th reread of this chapter. Uh, I think that a like Abel slash Mance might actually die. I think, I mean, all the all the washerwomen are getting killed off here, so it's kind of like, it, maybe that letter is true and it is Ramsey, but it would be interesting if it was Wyman Manderley. There's really no evidence for why it should be. It just would be interesting. I like the idea of Barbary as well being the person to author it, but it's probably just Ramsey. <laughs> there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of interesting creative theories out there. Some are like, you know, out there. Some yeah. are, some are not. I there's, I think something compelling to me. I think this one's more tinfoily. You know that it was Mance, right? Co-authored by Mance mm-hmm. in an attempt to like, I see his character work there in terms of trying to get his son back. I think that um, Aaron, not Greyjoy, Aaron, uh, <laughs> aka Admiral Curd on Reddit. Admiral Curd has a really great theory of it being co-authored with uh, Alistair Thorne. As a oh. way of getting back at John or something, throwing in with the Boltons. Mm. It's creative. There's a lot of creative theories out there. It's just so open. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we know where Theon is right now. So I, I think it was probably written by Ramsay in the it's end. Probably, I think that's honestly, the, it's written by Ramsay. I do Ramsey. think that. I but do you think know. that. I'm like, what else? It's fun. It's fun. This is fun. fun. Look at all the fun we're having to quote Tyrion. I confess that I know little of this poor boy. Lord Ramsay's squire, was he not? How old was the lad? Nine on his last name day. So young, said Wyman Manderley. Though mayhaps this was a blessing. Had he lived, he would have grown up to be a friend. Oh! oh! World star! What a sick burn. Like, Had he lived, he would have grown up to be a fray. Got him. Y'all should be glad that it is winter <laughs> so you can put some ice on that burn. Okay. Uh, Dracarin. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Dude, the, the damn. Like, Hoskin is throwing a table into Manderley. He, like, rips his sword out. He slices Wyman in the chin. There's blood squirting out. Uh, it's pretty obvious from this scene. Wyman's probably going to be left in pretty rough condition. Uh, he's going out yeah. to lead armies after this, but he's he's alive enough to go out like a bamf. But once he, he turns tides to Stannis, he can go out with some honor against Ramsay's faction. You know, he's definitely going to die in this winter, though. Yeah, definitely. He's absolutely the embodiment of that thing we were talking about a few episodes ago of like the old men going out into winter to die. Like Wyman's ready. This is it for him. Even Roos is, like, standing up and freaking out. Like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, stop. <laughs> what are you guys doing, you fucking animals? He's like, stop. Pull him apart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lord Wyman pushed to his feet only to collapse. No. Old Lord Locke was shouting for a maester as Manderly flopped on the floor like a clubbed walrus in a spreading pool of blood. Around him, dogs fought over sausages. Oh, my God. Did George really just call Manderly a clubbed walrus? What the fuck? I never noticed this. <laughs> Anyways, 
It takes 40 Dreadfort spearmen to settle down all of the action. Six Manderly men are dead. Two Freys have died. Dozens are wounded. Ramsey's man, Luton, is dying super noisily. So Ramsey goes over like a true buddy. He's just such a good... <laughs> friend you know like ramsey yeah. is a paragon of virtue and he puts luton out of his misery what a nice guy with a spear to the chest yeah he gives him the gift of mercy yeah Chloe. ramsey learned more about mercy than any character in this book so far so mm -hmm. horses dogs and all the people are still freaking out Roos finally calls everyone's attention I see you all want blood, the Lord of the Dreadford said. Maester Rodri stood beside him, a raven on his arm. The bird's black plumage shone like coal in the torchlight. Wet, Theon realized, and in his lordship's hand, a parchment. That will be wet as well. Dark wings, dark words. He tells them they should be wasting their energy on killing Stannis, and assembles the Freys at the main gates and the Manderleys to the east for first strike. I think this is definitely what we're going to see happen in King's Landing as well with the Martell, Lannister, Tyrell factions and all that suspense gearing up, uh, all that tension in the capital. There's not enough room for all these families, and we're seeing mm -hmm. that in this small keep in Winterfell. Yeah, you're seeing it play out in miniature across all of the different things in this story so far. Yeah. Even, like, across the narrow sea, whatevs. After Ramsay further tells the men to obey my lord father... Be my dad, whose wife I hate. Uh, Roos requests that Abel come and play, and it's time for the plan. As Abel begins to play a sad, soft song Theon Greyjoy didn't recognize, Sir Hostein, Sir Aenys, and their fellow Freys turned away to lead their horses from the hall. Of course, we all know what that sad, soft song that Theon doesn't recognize is. It's more than likely Jenny's song. The same unnamed, lack of lyrics, sad song we hear from Tom O'Seven and Rhaegar. High in the halls of the kings who are gone, Jenny would dance with her ghosts. It fits in with this song motif of Abel, the bard, and being a hero from the songs for Theon and what Theon's about to do. His summoning of courage is much like Sansa's here. You know, I must be brave from like a lady from a song. And songs and music very much outline this chapter with the war drums and also Abel's lute. Yeah, you can think of it as like the suspenseful music during the escape scene. But I like that idea that it is Jenny's song, like Jenny dancing with her ghost. That's very much Theon these past few chapters, as well mm. as like Jenny, if you rearrange some of the letters and throw in an E instead of another N, it's Jane. That's oh my it. God. Exactly. I Jane mean, and Theon dancing with their ghosts. Aww. Rowan then grasps Theon's arm and says, like, we have to go give Lady Arya her bath now. And Theon's like, this is very bold, all right? It is daytime. All right, but there's no other time that they can do it, and they just have to do it in time to go to Stannis if they want to get saved. And Theon says, though, Abel is doomed, and they're all like, he's going to be fine. This yeah, is fine. Mance does this all the time. He'll be fine. <laughs> kind of. And this is what escalates to that no chance, no choice moment here. You know, seven, Brienne thought again, despairing. She had no chance against seven, she knew. No chance and no choice. This begins up now. It's the thematics in Feast Dance that we see all across the ripple effect. Brienne's fight, Theon's leap to faith, John protecting his pack, trying to get to Arya. It's just a recurring theme, and it's outlined really nicely in this chapter. Yes, absolutely. Like, later in the chapter, Theon thinks, like, matter and matter. Like, escape had seemed unlikely with all six of Abel's men. And he also thinks of the plan as, like... It's just madness. It's hopeless, foolish, doomed. And he thinks, like, of the singers, you know, going back to this idea of Abel being such a big figure here as half-mad and the stories of the heroes and life not being a song, um, as you're talking about Sansa wanting to be as brave as a lady in the song. And this idea of madness, I think, also hangs over the story of A Song of Ice and Fire um, and that question of what is madness, and I think we get one answer to that in the form of characters and monsters like Ares, uh, Joffrey, and Ramsay, but I think that we see our protagonists also ask themselves these questions a lot, and that line between madness and bravery, or as it's phrased in Daenerys' chapters, madness and greatness, two sides of the same coin, very much blur. Oh, absolutely. Everything <laughs> is turning white in the godswood as well. Even the mud was icing up the edges, Theon saw. Winter is coming. Rowan gave him a hard look. You have no right to mouth Lord Eddard's words. Not you. Not ever. After what you did. 
You killed a boy as well. That was not us. I told you. Uh, words are wind. Okay, first things first. Obviously, washerwomen have been behind most of the deaths, except for that one. We know who really killed Walder. It was other Walder. Um, but these are as much his words as anyone else's in the North, so Rowan can fuck right off. I'm just like, it's a very common phrase, okay? Like, it's not anyone's fault that the Starks tried to trademark this very common phrase, a la Taylor Swift. Like, you can't just be like, yeah, this sick beat or winter's coming is only I can say him. There's a comedian, and he has this joke about how, you know, you can say whatever you want in the world because no one owns words. Obviously, the repercussions for saying certain words exist, but no one owns words. And uh, I'd like to tell Rowan right now that no one owns words, okay? Yeah. I also think it's interesting that as free folk, you know, Rowan and them have such respect for Lord Eddard and his words, even though obviously they were like on opposite sides. Yeah, and to be fair, that's the thing. Lord Eddard and the North, they all, you know, stayed separated for a reason, and they lived cool when Eddard was there. Like, yeah, well, we'd like to go south, you know, and escape the the blinding death from White Walkers, but Lord Eddard was never their enemy. You know, he didn't lead raids on them ever or really give a shit about them. Just if they were deserters and shit. So, I mean, he was a good man, and I think that's what George is kind of trying to echo here, is that even the wildlings... We're like, yeah, well, Lord Eddard Stark, he was a Stark of Winterfell, man. That's how Starks are. They disagreed, but there was respect there. Mm-hmm. Theon is very annoyed by all of this, and he tries to set the record kind of straight. He's like, I've done terrible things. I betrayed my own, turned my cloak, ordered the death of men who trusted me. But I am no kinslayer. While Rowan says they get that they weren't truly the brothers, Theon thinks on the miller's wife and the many times he bedded her and her son's blood on his hands. There is blood on my hands, but not the blood of brothers, he said wearily, and I've been punished. Not enough. Rowan turned her back on him. Theon thinks about ending her and her sisters with his blade right there and right now, but ultimately he decides against it, which, you know, I guess that's progress for Theon. (laughs) I guess. You yeah, chose not yeah. to kill women for no reason? That's just because you were mad? That's a good thing, Theon, buddy. You're doing good. I guess he's never really done that, per se, himself. No, he's just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Theon's art brings up those thoughts that we're always aware of constantly and thematically in A Song of Ice and Fire. Who deserves forgiveness? What constitutes penance being served? You know, like, what makes it so I'm on a redemption arc? What what pushes you to that level? Squirrel returns to the rest of the washerwoman, and she's armed with only knives to rescue Arya. And they plan on going in as six and coming out as six. It's not, it's not a good number, you know? Placing Arya with one of the washerwomen, Squirrel, who's, like, of a size with quote-unquote Arya, and Skrill, who's known for her namesake, says she's going to climb out the window. So now it's Jane playing Arya, playing Squirrel, and HBO was obviously too scared to have someone pull this off on TV. So, you know, even though Arya pulled off David Bradley. And they could have, like, they could have had Jane remove her face to become Arya and then become Squirrel, you know? I'm just saying. They could have, or they could have just done, you know... Something that what Tatyana and then Jack and Hagar could have been in Winterfell killing the people off. See, I adapted it. I adapted it. (laughs) You're welcome, HBO. Here's season five. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, they adapted it. You adapted? I adapted it from the show to the book. Wait, what? Sorry, George. What? Oh God, (laughs) fuck! My cover's blown. You're adapting the show, adapting as the book, adapting as the show, just like Jane and Arya and Squirrel. You know, me and uh, Manu on Twitter, he's uh, he's from the podcast, The Scene of Ice and Fire. He's great. He's one of our buddies. We were just talking yeah. about how good David Bradley and Maisie and the Arya and Walder bits are in like season seven and season six and all that. Like just the acting with just them together and then the acting as them as the other person together just blows my mind. It reminds me of uh, Helena Bonham Carter as Hermione and Harry Potter as Bellatrix as Hermione. Yeah, or as uh, Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. (laughs) I'm joking. Exactly, exactly. And with all of this, Theon then enacts his part of this plan. He's to go sneak into the kitchens uh, to go fetch water. Sneak, sneak. It rhymes with reek. 
the guards are used to his weirdness, so they like let him through. They're like, "All right, Reek, you fucking weird ass, come on in." He uh, he asks for six pails of hot water and to be quick for the lady Arya, and they say they'll do it at once, but realistically, it still takes like forty five minutes, which can't help Theon's anxiety. And modern technology doesn't exist, so. And I mean, like, I'm going to be real, even with modern technology, sometimes it feels like it takes forever for the water to boil. I Like, I know I got this, like, water heater thing, but actually I don't right now. I just have a fucking kettle. But it feels like forever. I feel that. I feel that. Exactly. The guards begin to question who the new handmaidens are and what happened to the old ones. Theon says the old ones were fired. The water they kept bringing was cold. You know, like, get a fucking move on, you guys. Yeah. But they did like them better for the reasons why it would have been cold, you know, because they flirted with them. Yeah. While the troops march on, Theon goes back towards the keep, and the sergeant outside is surprised at, like, Arya's need to, like, take a bath again two days in a row. Yeah, Theon darkly thinks, well, when you share a bed with Ramsay, like, yeah, you'd probably need a shower hourly, bitch. Oh my god, yeah, just, just even, like, emotionally. It's a real feeling. As they near Arya's tower, they must then sneak past Ramsay's chamber, and Theon advises all of them to keep their heads down and their hoods up, and Rowan agrees. Yeah, I do love the buildup that's coming in this chapter as we race through just this breakdown of what's happening. It's already, we're halfway through, and my heart's like, bottom, 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 because this is like a, like we said, mission impossible. Yeah, I mean, they are halfway there. They are living on a prayer, Yeah, Chloe. And I do want to point out before we continue on that we will get to some very sensitive kind of moments in this text coming up when we see Jane Poole again in the tower. So if you are of the gentler heart and you do not want to listen to, oh, themes of abuse and torture that have happened to her, please tune out now. And so they climb the stairs and Theon thinks of the many trips that he's done up these stairs, such as this one time when he was like, much younger, a boy running up, and he knocked old Nan down in the hall. He earned a couple of hard beatings then, but apparently they're not as hard as when his brothers used to beat him. He also fought Rob on these stairs with wooden swords, and he was trained by Sir Roderick. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Sir Roderick, everyone. Who said that fighting on the stairs would give them an advantage, because if you know how to fight an enemy on difficult terrain, and also when you have the higher ground, like one good man can hold a hundred. I'm interested if that will come back. It really stuck out to me on this reread, that little Sir Roderick memory. I wonder if Theon will go out that way, you know, fighting down a flight of stairs or something for someone, maybe flighting a stair of others or an enemy. An interesting echo I wanted to point out because it just really stuck out on this reread. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. It's the only way he could get like a sort of even advantage with, you know, all of his missing parts. Exactly. In terms of feats and fingers. That was long ago, though. They were all dead now. Jory, old Sir Roderick, Lord Eddard, Harwin and Hullen, Kane and Desmond and Fat Tom, Alan with his dreams and oh, Alan, sorry, Micken, who had given him his own Micken, first real sword, even old Nan, like it's not, we are not throwing this out there. It is not confirmed that old Nan is dead. She dead. Stop! And Rob. Rob, who had been more a brother to Theon than any son born of Balin Greyjoy's loins, murdered at the Red Wedding, butchered by the phrase, I should have been with him. Where was I? I should have died with him. Ah! So sad. I should have died with him! (sighs) The gods are not done with you yet, Theon Greyjoy. It's just, it's the saddest part of Theon's arc. Everyone's here wishing vengeance for their dead kinsmen, wishing they could go back to a time before the Red Wedding existed, but Theon is what's left behind. He's that remnant. He's the ghost in Winterfell that hasn't been able to move on. He hasn't been afforded being moved on. Theon is the only person who wishes he could have been at the Red Wedding. I should have died with him. And Theon is so, so framed as a disciple to Rob and a disciple that betrayed him. I've seen a lot of Judas references to Theon before, but I actually feel like he's closer to Peter in biblical stories. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. 
Peter eventually serves for his crimes and is accepted back into Jesus's grasp and goes on to become a bishop in the church. Jesus's church is built on Peter's confession to his crimes and turning from Jesus. As I mentioned, all of this is built into that theme we discuss of who's repented for their sins, who deserves redemption, and most good fantasy stories and fairy tales have that theme of redemption laced into them somehow. I mean, we look at the grim Little Mermaid. Start at the beginning here. So Little Mermaid, she comes up, you know, she doesn't talk, she's, you know, blah, 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 gonna fuck the prince, whatever. So doesn't work out he doesn't love her her it's like the third day coming up to and she's like fucked you know like she's like gonna be stuck there mute forever with legs and living sadly as he marries someone else and she has to watch and be there every day and her family comes above like at the water at the boat and they're like we got you this we traded in our beautiful mermaid hair so you could have this like knife this dagger and all you need to do is you need to stab the prince and you need to let his blood wash over your feet and then you will have a tail again and you can come home again to us and then, like, instead, she decides, like, not to. She's just so sad and she can't kill him because she loves him, so she kills herself. And her body, like, falls into the water and she turns into sea foam. And in the beginning of the story, they talk about how when mermaids die, they turn to sea foam and they don't get real souls and they have to go around doing good deeds for, like, a bajillion years until they get enough done so that they can have a soul and they can go on to the afterlife. And so Theon is kind of that little mermaid right now. Like, he's going to have to do these good deeds until he can go to his afterlife and be put to rest. But in so many ways, because, like, his family's all trying to be like, come return to the sea, take this knife and do bad shit. Join us. And then he's like, no. And then he loses. Wow. What if Theon is not just Cinderella, but the little mermaid? I think he's all of these fairy tale characters, man. It's true. It's all rooted deep in fantasy. He's afraid to be the hero in the song, but he's going to do it. Exactly. Guarding Arya's chambers are the two dumbest bastard boys, Grunt and Sour Allen. Theon thinks the gods are on their side for once. They enter the room after some guard banter, and they cannot find Arya until they do. She's huddled in a dark corner and piled in wolf skins. Outside, a horn was blowing, a trumpet, the phrase assembling for battle. Theon could feel an itching in his missing fingers. Theon tells Jinaria that he has brought some friends, and then the furs stirred and an eye peered out, shining with tears. Dark, too dark, a brown eye. Theon? And then we have Rowan telling her that, like, we're here to take you to our brother, and Jane Poole, foolishly, responds with, I don't have a brother. <laughs> but Arya has a half-brother, Lord Crow, Jon Snow, but alas, she's too far gone. Jane pulled her wolf skins up to her chin. No, this is some trick. It's him. It's my, my lord, my sweet lord. He sent you. This is just some test to make sure that I love him. I do. I do. I love him more than anything. A tear ran down her cheek. Tell him. You tell him. I'll do what he wants. Whatever he wants. With him or with the dog or please. He doesn't need to cut my feet off. I won't try to run away. Not ever. I'll give him sons. I swear it. I swear it. Rowan whistled softly. God's curse the man. I'm a good girl, Jane whimpered. They trained me. Oh, Jane. Fucking. I don't care who does it but i want someone to take little finger and i want them to bleed him dry i want them to cut him open like trough it like just like slaughterhouse it just bleed his ass dry i mean maybe ramsey will do it he did avenge the red wedding you know oh my god <laughs> yeah no it's just it's so horrible like that this is what peter baelish does to jane like this is not all right this is not sex work this is trafficking okay peter baelish is he trafficked a young girl an 11 year old girl was trafficked into sex slavery he's like doing this on this like awful systemic level of it's just like a different sort of monstrosity as ramsey where you know it's that torture but Littlefinger enables this to happen multiple times to jane and it's still like not enough and jane Jane reminds us, you know, she's like, I'm a good girl. And and it reminds me of when she's taken for the first time to Peter, like, because Jane hasn't done anything wrong, right? Like, as Sansa says to Cersei, she's like, where is Jane's father? Why can't Sir Boros take her to him instead of Lord Peter having to do it? Where are you sending her? She hasn't done anything wrong. She's a good girl. And like, 
Jane didn't deserve any of this. Like, I know, I guess some people hold it against her that she made fun of Arya, but like, that doesn't warrant what Jane undergoes. There's a lot of religious language and, and symbolism throughout these chapters. I, I just want to quote our Lord and Savior, Jon Snow, and by that I mean Beric Dondarrion, <laughs> maybe Viserion, and actually, no, it's Jesus. All right. The words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And if you do, I will hurl a whole ass boulder at you, you hypocrite. This is in the Bible. It's in the gospel. It's absolutely. Jesus said that. He said no one gets to be mad at I know. At I Jane read Cole. this in A Dance with Dragons, the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus said you cannot be mad at Jane Poole, just as it is illegal to hate Sansa Stark. Yeah. Um, Honestly, if you are mad at Jane Poole, there are cops outside of your front door right now waiting for you to come out, ready to arrest you and put you in the people that hate Sansa Stark camp. Yeah. And then bring you to hell. Yeah. That's that's just how it works. You know, if you want salvation, you have to... We don't make the laws. We simply enforce yeah. them. Are we narcs? Some tell people you. say we're narcs, but I have called the cops <laughs> on many of the Jane Poole haters. Yeah. I have told, you know, I've gone to confession. I went and I told the priest what you did. <laughs> and Jesus heard it. Yeah, he did. And yeah, Jane is very much a product of the society that trains women like to do as they're told and to be obedient and like for what? Like nothing good fucking came of this. She hopes it's going to save her and it just doesn't. The spearwives hurry them along. The guards will hear the sobs soon. Holly commands Theon to get Arya up and shake courage into her. Rowan asks what happens if she screams and Theon thinks, then we are all dead. I told them this was folly, but none of them would listen. Abel had doomed them. All singers were half mad. In songs, the hero always saved the maiden from the monster's castle. But life was not a song, no more than Jane was Arya Stark. Her eyes are the wrong color, and there are no heroes here, only whores. Even so, he knelt beside her, pulled down the furs, touched her cheek. You know me. I'm Theon. You remember. I know you too. I know your name. And as Jane begins to try to speak her name, he hushes her, telling her they will get out of there. But also, A, whores can be heroes. I know that he's, like, playing on, like, that word stuff. Yeah. But I'm like, Theon, the whole point is, you know, things can be more than one thing. Like, in the movie Inside Out, you can feel more than one oh thing God. at once. Well, and you have this right alongside Quentin dying in this book, thinking that he's the hero. And the whole time he's saying, I'm the hero. And this whole time, Theon is thinking, well, I'm not the hero. And that only happens mm -hmm. in songs. And there are no heroes here. I'm not the hero. Which leads us directly to that ending where Theon realizes, oh, shit, I am the hero. I have to do this now. Everyone else is dead. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it such an interesting parallel, right? to why we've put this after Sansa's storyline, because again, he's quoting that life is not a song with Sansa's friend. There's just a lot to unpack here. Like, there's that reversal also from those previous chapters where Theon had to remember his name being Reek. Um, but he always remembered Jane's real name, and now he's asking Jane to do, to take on that role of remembering to be Arya so that they can all survive this terrible moment right now. Because, like, the horrible fact is, for some reason, no one fucking cares about Jane Poole's suffering, except for Theon, they only care if she's Arya Stark. And this all ties back to like something that we see in how Theon still needs to confess like to himself some of the bad things he's done, if he's ever going to atone. Like Earlier on, when he's thinking about the Miller's wife, when Rowan is accusing him of killing Bran and Rickon, he still thinks about how, yeah, they were the Miller's wife's sons, and then he feels sad about her, but he also doesn't really care that they were not truly Brandon Rickon yet. He goes, the two we killed were just some Miller's sons. And I think that word just, it it shows Theon's disregard for the sons and their lives. And it's very much indicative of like the nobility's inability to recognize the lives of the lower class and like those who aren't named or they don't carry powerful names. And I think this is the other side of that coin of Jane needing to be Arya for any of the lords or even like the spearwives to care about her or want to save her. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk in a bit about where that puts Jane after this chapter. Yeah. She's naked lot. beneath the wolfskins, and teeth marks cover her breasts. Everyone's horrified, and the spearwives hand Theon squirrel's clothing to put on her. He thinks if the gods are good, the guards won't recognize Jane. Westerosi society is shit. 
All right, this is one of its big sins, along with not recognizing people with not powerful names. Like living in the north, living north of the wall is hard. You gotta face like fucking zombies and ice demons. But the spearwives don't have to endure this, and they recognize they're like not expected to endure it. They're like, this is me- this is terrible. No, I mean they're enabled to end that. You know, they're spearwives. They if some guy and their clan ends up trying to you know force themselves on them they're gonna stab him they're gonna hit him with a spear and say get the fuck out of my tent like jane doesn't have that same option jane is stuck in this torture and it's expected it's so terrible theon tells her not to cry not to run and just keep your head down and your hood up and he's gonna stay beside her Sour Alan makes some evil guard banter at them after he grabs at Willow's breast. Theon thinks they're really lucky he didn't grab Squirrel's breast, and for a moment he almost felt giddy because they didn't even look. They walked right by them. But his fear returns as he gets onto the steps. He worries they'll all be skinned alive if he's caught. He feels helpless. They're still in the castle, and anything, anyone could give them away. And somehow they avoid the guards, though. But Theon feels pity for them, because when Ramsay realizes that Arya has gone, he's going to flay them all. The washerwomen abandon their pails as they exit the Great Keep, and everything is super snowy around them, and the trenches grow higher than their heads, although the castle is still all around them. This chapter is constantly trying to like keep you in place of where in the castle you are as you read along. All of it is preparing for that environmental switch at the end. They split up. Frenya and Holly go with Jane and Theon, and Willow and Rowan and Myrtle go to find Abel. It, like I said, it really won't surprise me when they all die, but even if the guards let us pass, there's no way through the outer wall, he thinks. Well, there is. There's a way. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. It's yeah. not through it. Can't go through yeah, it. You can't, can't go, go under it. it. Can't go under it. Gotta can't go, go over it. it. <laughs> <laughs> They arrive at the battlement gates, finally, where their easy part of the journey ends. The guards ask where they're going, and Theon offers them the girls he brought for them. Like, hey, I know you want to know where we're going, but I was just coming here to offer you these women. (laughs) It's like that scene in Mulan, right? Where they (laughs) pretend to be concubines. Everything comes back to Mulan for me. Oh my god. Holly and Frenya offer themselves to the guard, and they lean in to kiss them all sexy-like, and as they pull away, they've killed them, and the guards are gushing blood, and Jane, of course, screams. Yeah. And I mean, this whole time, as we've been born, Jane screaming has been a huge potential risk for, like, blowing their cover with this plan, and Theon thinks, like, Jane would have screamed if the guard had fondled her instead of Willow, so we were pretty lucky there! And, like, of course, part of her screaming and that, that nature is jane's trauma but i actually think that what's interesting is this is in fact consistent with the jane that we meet in a game of thrones so from sansa's chapter in the hands tourney his cloak was blue the color of the sky on a clear summer's day blah blah, blah. anyway here the veil dies and then jane pool wept so hysterically that septa mordain finally took her off to regain her composure but sansa sat with her hands folded in her lap yeah, I think it's interesting because this chapter really outlines how childlike Jane is, right? Like, she's small, she's fragile, her bust isn't even blossoming, and now she's probably so malnourished it wouldn't matter. Everything that happens in front of her and to her in this chapter, I'd be screaming too, right? Like, I'm a grown oh, yeah. woman, and I'd just be like, ah, the whole time, because it's awful. She's a little girl, and she's been wholly and awfully abused, so of course she's just, you know, a very broken little bird. Yeah, she is. I. I just think it's a tie-in and, like, this poor, as you said, like, child, this sensitive girl has been made to do all this. Theon clasps his hand over Jane's mouth and they run. Frenya lets Theon, Jane, and Holly go, stays with a spear to hold off the men that they hear forming below, and trumpets sound within the walls. Throwing this out there, Frenya... Frenya, channeling that Squire Dalbridge. Yes. Dalbridge vibes. Yes, very Dalbridge. Holding it very down. much Squire Dalbridge. As they reach the stairs, Theon slings Jane over his back because she's weak in the cold and she's just faltering and he starts to climb. He slips on the ice and he falls down onto his knee at a point. He begins to think this is it. They're at their end. They hear shouting and Frenya fights half a dozen guardmen off. 
He shouts, where do they go? And Holly realizes, darkly, that Frenya has the rope to get down from the battlements with. And then in that moment, as Holly is like, fuck, a quarrel appears in Holly's stomach. The crossbowmen are in a line in the inner yard, and then a second one appears between her breasts as she grabs a Merlin, and she's dying as she falls. Shouts ring out from their left. Jane Poole was staring down at Holly as the snowy blanket over her turned from white to red. On the inner wall, the crossbowmen would be reloading Theonu. He started right, but there were men coming from that direction too, racing toward them with swords in hand. Far off to the north, he heard a war horn sound. Stannis, he thought wildly, Stannis is our only hope if we can reach him. The wind was howling and he and the girl were trapped. The crossbow snapped, a bolt passed within the foot of him, shattering the crust of frozen snow that had plugged the closest crenel. Of Abel, Rowan, Squirrel, and the others, there was no sign. He and the girl were alone. If they take us alive, they will deliver us to Ramsay. Theon grabbed Jane about the waist and jumped. Yes! The actual leap to fame! Literally! Literally! (sighs) That's so good. It's so good. It's like, I read this... Full disclosure, I read this the other night and I cried like three times in this chapter because it's such an emotional chapter, right? Like this is like, there's so much big stuff and just like Jane, you know, like I'm a good girl and Theon just the grabbing Jane around the waist and drumping. Like that is just, finally, we've all been waiting for it. We've all been waiting for Theon to finally take that moniker. Like you are Theon, you are Theon Greyjoy and you can be the hero again. You can still come back. It's never too late to come back. And the leap to faith is Something we've obviously been talking about the last couple of episodes. A lot of Theon's chapters have heavy religious and philosophical connotations surrounding them, which fits super well as they're transferring from Ramsay as Reek's god to Stannis as Theon's god, where his salvation lies, a heretic. Kierkegaard was known to describe the leap of faith as Adam and Eve's qualitative leap into sin, and that the leap into faith is directly usually tied to the paradox quality of Christianity. And there's a lot you can read about that in Philosophical Fragments and another of his books, Concluding Unscientific Postscript. There is this passage in Concluding Unscientific Postscript I'll read that I really like. When someone is to leap, he must certainly do it alone and also be alone in properly understanding that it is an impossibility. The leap is the decision. I am charging the individual in question with not willing to stop the infinity of reflection. So it's super important because Theon's finally put his own safety and self-being aside and he's finished that idea of infinity reflection on who he is, who he was, and who he wants to be or can be. In this moment, he makes that leap for Jane and to be the person that he know he wants to be deep down. In that moment, he becomes a believer that things can be different, that he can play a role in that, and that he and Jane can survive this and get to Stannis. He sees it as his no chance, no choice moment. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a perfect breakdown of Theon's arc and everything culminating in this moment. And of course, this isn't the end of Theon's storyline in A Dance with Dragons yet. As you said, there's very much of him reclaiming being a hero, Theon, and he doesn't believe he's a hero yet, but you know, we get that ending actually in The Sacrifice. Yeah, the sacrifice chapter is uh, something that follows this, obviously, chronologically. Moore's Umber finds Jane and Theon, Arya and Theon, and delivers them to Stannis via Tycho Nestoris. And it turns out that he's the one who's been blowing the war horns. Yeah, which is kind of hilarious. I have a tinfoil again. Yeah, no really cares. go ahead. Tell me the tinfoil, uh, Ariana. So, obviously, Big Walder killed Little Walder, but... <laughs> Oh my God. What if, you know, like, it, it'd be funny if it were, what, Moore's Umber, maybe one of the Umbers, because Horse Bay Umber's in there, but only because, like, he has to be because they have the Grey John uh, in hold by the phrase. And, like, what if they're the ones who killed little Walder just so dissension within, like, the Bolton ranks, weakening them for, like, Stannis' army to come? As the way, like, Crow Food Umber has been doing little by little by, by blowing those war horns and picking them off. Yeah, and of course. As we learn later on, we'll discuss this in our Patreon-only episode for Theon 1 in The Winds of Winter. Crow Food ends up getting punished for this in the end. But, 
you know, this is such an incredible scene and it's a perfect capstone to that leap of faith. Tycho Nosaurus shows up, right? He's here and he says, you are the Lady Asha of House Greyjoy, unless I am mistaken. I am Asha of House Greyjoy. I, opinions differ on whether I'm a lady. The best. The Bravosi smiled. We've brought a gift for you. He beckoned to the men behind him. We'd expected to find the king at Winterfell. The same blizzard has engulfed the castle, alas. Beneath its walls, we found more Zumber with a troop of raw green boys waiting for the king's coming. And he gave us this. A girl and an old man, thought Asha, as the two were dumped rudely in the snow before her. The girl was shivering violently, even in her furs. If she had not been so frightened, she might even have been very pretty, though the tip of her nose was black with frostbite. The old man, no one would ever think him comely. She had seen scarecrows with more flesh. His face was a skull with skin, his hair bone white and filthy, and he stank. Just the sight of him filled Asha with some revulsion. He raised his eyes. Sister, see, this time I knew you. Asha's heart skipped a beat. Theon? His lips skinned back in what might have been a grin. Half his teeth were gone, and half of those still left him were broken and splintered. Theon, he repeated. My name is Theon. You have to know your name. Yes. Oh my god. We got him back. Our paralarva is back. It's such a. It's so good. It's such an earned capstone and ending. After we've done like this whole book, and like, I know that people dislike the repetition of like, where do whores go in Tyrion storyline? And and sometimes you know, sometimes the repetition of some words can be. A little too on the nose, but here it just works so well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely that closing of an arc as well. Theon finally found himself, I think we can all agree, right there. He's been trying to find himself this entire time. So the sacrifice is really important to bring up here because it just closes it all in a nice loop. And as we enter into that Wins Winter episode for patrons, you're really going to see a lot of that come into play as well. Yes, absolutely. And like, this is the end of, as you said, one part of Theon's arc. There's still more to his story. There's still more development internally. As we see, he still has some things he needs to atone for. There's also, of course, Jane is still very much part of the story. She's still playing Arya Stark for a lot of this. She doesn't get to have her name back yet. And along with all of that, she's lost already. Now, uh, she has lost some of her prettiness because of that frostbite on her nose. Though I like that Asha thinks that she would be pretty if she weren't so frightened. That's such an Asha thing to think, I think, because she... She's yeah. Asha Greyjoy. Yeah, she's, nothing she, to her. Nothing. She's not afraid of anything. And she just sees other... She, I mean, Jane does look like a pretty beautiful little girl, but that's what she thinks. Well, if she wasn't so frightened, she'd be pretty. That confidence. Yeah. I. It's so Asha, but... It's such... I don't know. It's, it's the most fist-pumpy moment of dance. Oh my god. It is a very fist-pumping moment. It gets me really excited for the Winds of Winter, which is coming out next week. It is. It's coming out tomorrow. It's coming out right now. It's right under out. my chair. Look under your chair. It's under yours, too. <laughs> Man. Whew, that was an emotional episode. Emotional chapter. It is. I need to crack open it's... a LaCroix. Oh, my fucking God. LaCroix sponsor it's us. An emotional... It's an emotional arc, you know? We can, t- we can talk about how the fizzy water is uh, snow. Yes, the fizzy water directly correlates to snow. <laughs> oh, well, I know I'm kind of sad. I'm excited to go into John. I'm excited to transcend kind of some of these themes into John, these themes of never belonging, as we'll go into mm-hmm. uh, the themes of, you know, the Prince of Winterfell being the last one left, the ghost of Winterfell, the ghost of the North, yeah. watching, you know, the brother that should have survived, Rob, die. They both have very similar yeah. feelings about Rob. Theon and John have a lot in common that we're really going to get into in the world's longest pov arc in the whole entire universe <laughs> well no Tyrion's is longer right Tyrion yeah. or Arya, i think is longer Tyrion or Arya but... is longer because the longest ones are Tyrion, Arya, danny and then this john johnny boy oh, jay snow johnny boy. <laughs> jay snow jay snow but you know we aren't done with theon exactly yet we do have one more theon episode coming out his winds of winter chapter that will be available for our patrons also this week. 
for our March Patreon episode. Yes, so excited about that. Uh, check in on that for sure. And of course, you know, you don't have to pay to hang out with us and to listen to us. Just keep up, right? You can find us on social media as Girls Gone Canon over on Twitter, or you can shoot us an email. Let us know what you think at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and as always, you can subscribe to us on our many platforms. We are on Podbean, where we host most of our things. We are also on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Acast. So I have been one of your hosts, Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. And I have been one of your other hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Liza Arbor or LizaNarborGold.com. Goodbye, everyone. See you next week for episode 46. Keep the faith. Keep keep believing. Jump to faith. <laughs>